Now on the tee, it's Maddie and the Caddy. Here's Matt Barry and Michael Collins. Ah, yes. Another episode of your weekly T-Box dysfunction. I am the Caddy. And this week on Maddie and the Caddy, no Maddie. Wait, what? Yes, no Maddie. He has a prior commitment, so he could not join the podcast this week. So guess what? I got a feeling. But a feeling who's a little more than just, I don't know, regular dude sitting around not doing much of anything. I got my colleague Bob Harrig from ESPN.com, who literally is just coming from Hilton Head and last week's RBC Heritage. Hello, Bob. Thanks for being my co-host on Maddie and the Caddy. How many else? How many others did you ask before me? 13, 14, something okay. like that. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's, a, it's okay. It's okay. No. I'm not offended. I'm not you, offended. It's all you, right. You know that's not true. Look, I'm happy we're doing a podcast again because one of the first times we did a podcast, we were in a car and got pulled over by the cops while we were doing <laughs> the podcast. You remember that? I sure do. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was great. And you and basically you were trying to tell the guy, hey, I'm really sorry, but we're doing a podcast. And like it was he, hilarious. I wouldn't like even roll the window to, down. <laughs> like he was supposed to understand that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was better days when, uh, when, well, you know what? I don't know. I could say something really inappropriate about why (laughs) he let us go because I was driving, but I won't. I'll say this before we get too deep into, as Maddie says, the program, we need to mention our friends at Theragun. Look, the stress of daily life weighs on all of us. Whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular guy, girl, trying to get through the day, muscle pain and muscle tension is for real. That's why I use Theragun, the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. It's perfectly weighted and ergonomically. I don't know why you got to say ergonomically. Let's just say you can hold it in your hand perfect. That's just as easy to read. Theragun's unique multi-grip design maximizes ease, comfort, and usability with zero stress or pressure on forearms, hands, and wrists. Whether you're treating yourself or using it to help others. They sent me and Maddie Theraguns, and we love them. Y'all already know. You hear us talk about them all the time. I use mine after a workout or in the morning when I'm the most sore. Maddie uses his before he works out, which I don't understand. That's like I want to get beat up before a fight. But, you know, to each his own. It's just a great way to naturally treat any lingering pain or stingers and get back to doing what you do. Try Theragun risk-free for 30 days, or you get your money back. Go to Theragun.com slash Matty, M-A-T-T-Y. For a limited time, our listeners, this podcast, look, don't tell nobody. You're going to get a free charging stand with your purchase. It's a $79 value. Just be cool. Don't tell nobody. Do it on your own. Let them be mad. Go to Theragun.com slash Matty, M-A-T-T-Y. Theragun.com slash Matty. You're welcome. Now. (laughs) On to what we got to do. So first off, I mean, there's been all kinds of news going on, but I want to start for you, Bob Harrig, in the very beginning of the week, because most people don't understand normally how media, how we do our job and now how it's changed. And, you know, you and I are colleagues and you're the first one that got out and got to a tournament. What was it like 
And what did you have to do? What was different? How was it good? How was it, man, I wish this was better. Give me the scoop. What it was like when you got there. Well, first it was just good to be there right after three Mm. months and everything that all that we've all been through, see familiar faces. Um, even if we were distanced, obviously a lot of players and caddies, you know, obviously what's different is, is the lack of buzz. You know, you walk into the venue and even early in the week on a Tuesday, there would be, you know, a couple thousand fans there watching practice rounds, watching guys hit balls around the putting green, that sort of thing. Nothing. Obviously Wednesday, no pro-am. Uh, once they're playing, it's just, you know, there's just a smattering of people out there, volunteer. It's just, it's like a mini tour event or a, or a junior event or something. It's just, um, it's when you're so used to going to these things and they're, you know, you're fighting traffic, you're fighting crowds and it's not there. It's odd. The other thing too, is how many, how many people were in the media center? Cause normally at the media center, there's what hundred, maybe 130 people. You know, we're all packed in there together, especially with a field this strong. What was the media center like? I mean, it was it was less than 25 people total and Ooh. probably only about 15 to 18 actual media. You know, there was some uh, people who run the thing and the, and the PGA Tour staff and, you know, some photographers that were in and out. So, yeah, it's way, way down. It's way limited. It's going to remain that way. You know, the access to the players is almost nil. We're, we're not allowed to inter- interview them in person. The, the main interviews are done via um, Microsoft. You know, like it's sort of like a Zoom type thing. Yeah. Um, so like if, 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 if a player were brought into the interview room, as we say, we would be in a room and sitting in chairs and asking questions. It's not much unlike that. I mean, you're able to ask questions. They're able to see you when you ask and you can see them. You know, uh, so in that regard, it's not like you're anonymous, uh, but you're just, you know, there's no ability to, uh, and you can ask follow-up questions, which is great. Uh, They call on you in the order that you ask to be called on. Um, But there's no ability to like go up to the player afterward, you know, like we often do, maybe to get some more or follow them out. Once the tournament begins, the players who are requested but are maybe not leading uh, for, you know, who aren't brought to this so-called interview room. That's now like a virtual interview room. Mm. They're, they're brought to, you know, what we would call the flash area and, you know, the rights holders, uh, the TV rights holders are possibly going to interview them there from a distance with a long boom mic. And then there's the area where we would normally get them, what we call a scrum or, you know, flash area scrum. And, you know, depending on who it is, there might be 8, 10, 12 of us at these things asking questions. You know, for a guy like Rory, Justin Thomas, Brooks, you know, there'd be a good number of us out there. A lot. Or like Tiger, there's probably 50 to 70 people standing, standing there just bunched in. Everyone's trying to get in a question, but what's it look like now? Well, now it's way different. I mean, there's 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 a TV presence there to ask questions that can be picked that can be used for everyone. You know, like it's filmed and that that is available to the world basically. There's a way to get that. And so there's somebody there asking kind of basic questions, and then there's only two pool reporters that are being allowed at the moment. And and so I was able to rotate into that 
throughout the throughout the weekend last week i you know we just decided amongst ourselves who was going to go it was more basically convenience hey is it good for you or hey can i do this one you know so i was able to be out there like for rory on saturday and sergio when they gave us a lot of detail about what happened with nick watney Mm. um you know i was interested in riding brooks on sunday because he he finally had a good tournament so i asked if i could be part of that and i was allowed to be so I was able to ask him questions. Now, of course, all of this is available to everyone who's there or anybody right. who else is following. So it's there's nothing that you're going to get on your own. But it was nice to be able to ask my own questions, you know, and hopefully they're of use to others. But, you know, in case somebody was asking something that wasn't of use to me, that was a nice benefit to us to be able to have that opportunity. But to your question, it's way different. You know, and, and I'm you sort can't. Of, well, what it sounds like is you can't get something on your own. No, you can't. I mean, the only way you can is if you somehow get the attention of a player and ask him to call you. In theory, you are not supposed to interview him there. I mean, uh, one of the days I saw Brant Snedeker in the parking lot, and you know, you know him, he knows you. I mean, right? I didn't go up to him and hug him. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. I didn't go shake his right. hand, right. but I mean, we stayed apart. We talked, we talked, you know, casually for 10 minutes. I wasn't interviewing him, but he was kind of surprised to learn that I wasn't allowed to interview him. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure some players would be fine with it, but you know, from our standpoint, you're, you're breaking the rules, you know? And so I'm really hoping that they ease that. Um, there's a way to do it. We've told them that, you know, obviously you could have a media official sort of, you know, play run interference to make sure you're doing the right thing. Um, you know, there's gotta be the opportunity to talk to some guys about things that have nothing to do with the tournament. Uh, that's what we do. That's what we, you know, that's well, you know, so how we work ahead on stuff. Yes. And the big thing too, is the relationships that, every media person has with individual players and being able to talk to individual players away from other media members, you will get things depending on your relationship with that player that they're not going to be able to give. If everyone has access to, you know, that question or that moment. And so that I guess that yeah, that would be my biggest fear, and I think the biggest danger is then not having access to find out the truth, because you know there are some things that players just will not say in a public forum to media where they know they could say things. You know, someone who you know and trust will tell you some things that they wouldn't say even to me or to someone else who's working for another outlet that they don't know or doesn't have the same relationship with that player and that's that is a very dangerous <clears throat> line we're we're walking on right now it I mean, sounds like you have to i guess in the big picture you have to understand what's what's going on here you know um it's just you know unprecedented times and there's got to be some restrictions they they, they they've got to be able to sort of control the environment yeah. Um, I guess if I wanted to be a cynic and in the media, we're typically that way <laughs> where I would have a problem with it is, is we're not seeing in, in, uh, in, in an overabundance of caution among the players and caddies and, and officials out there. 
Um, you see rules officials or volunteers being way too close to players. Obviously, the caddies and players are, are very close to each in, in close proximity. Some of it can't be helped, but they can do a better job of, you know, like during the rain delay on Sunday, you know, nobody was spaced. Even you know? after what well, I was going to say, I would have assumed that with what happened to Nick Watney on Friday that people would have went over the top being cautious. And so that didn't necessarily happen during the rain delay on Sunday. No, I mean, not to the degree that it should, Mm. you know, I think a lot of the players and caddies, you know, they feel that they're okay because they've been around each other and they might be able to know what they've been up to. Mm. And so I get that to a point, but to another, you know, another player, you know, another caddy, a, a, a person who's with the tournament, uh, you know, the starters on the first tee, I was just sort of like a little bit surprised, you know, look, I'm not trying to be the social distancing police, but the, <laughs> no, the, but after you know, Watney the, test positive, you got to go, Hey, we got to really <laughs> dot our I's and cross our T's here, everybody. And the tour has been sending out text messages every day to players and caddies about make sure you follow these social distance protocols. But I guess, but, from what it sounds like, a lot of the players and caddies are kind of like they they still don't believe necessarily that this is a real threat. Well, there's I don't know if that's it or not. It's possible. I mean, certainly there's a big part of society that believes that. Right. You know, we could have a whole nother discussion on that. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's to me, it's it's not about that. It's we know that this is a highly contagious virus that you don't typically show symptoms for and is contagious before you get symptoms if you get them. So it makes it really, really hard to to go out and live life normally. So, you know, to to try to have some semblance of normal life, there's there's this distancing thing they've told us about. They stay away from crowds, stay keep your distance from other people, wear a mask if you're indoors, certainly. I don't expect any of these guys to wear a mask outside. I, fi- I find that to be that that's an over the top request. You know, that's just not going to happen. It was 90 degrees and humid. No, I, I don't ha- I don't have any problem with that. But when there's the opportunity to stay away and they don't. Right. Not only is it a little, you know, maybe maybe there's nothing to worry about. But why take the chance? And Especially also, on Sunday after during a rain delay, yeah. as you said. And that was one of the things that hadn't happened before. And was going to be interesting to see. And it was interesting to watch how the umbrella for, for a caddy, me, former caddy, when seeing the umbrella going back and forth between player and caddy, I mean, that's that went back to there's no protocol there. You don't wipe down the umbrella and clean that afterwards. You just hand it back and forth and you kind of move on. But, you know, one thing we didn't get to see that you got to see was. What happened during that rain delay between all the players and volunteers and when they were in that holding pattern? I mean, some of it probably couldn't be helped. Yes. But I mean, if I were them, I'd go to my car, you mm. know, and, and, and wait it out there. Um, and, you know, again, one of the things Jay Monahan, the commissioner, said was all eyes are going to be on us. And right now, there's not other than NASCAR. There's no other sports going on really. I mean, Premier League football. I get that too, right? But for the most part, American sports. And so, 
there's some, I think there's some responsibility to set an example and try to do the best you can. Um, and you know, he, I, I just keep going back to this whenever somebody questions me about, Hey, look, I'm not worried about it. If you're worried about it, don't come near me. I'm going to do my thing. Well, if you do your thing and you run into somebody who gives it to you and you don't know it, who's to say that you're not going to come into my world and give it to me? <laughs> I could be doing all the right things. Yes. You know, and so this is where we have a problem in society because because it's it, it, it'd be one thing if it were it only yeah, it only affects you if you get it. But that's not how this works. There's no way there's all these thousands of new cases every day, people getting it from people that have symptoms. <laughs> They're getting it from people they didn't even know had it. That's well, why the numbers keep going up. And that was the wild thing about Nick Watney and the fact that he was alerted to it because of the whoop band that he was wearing. And then everything that kind of happened after the fact. One of the big discussions has been if a guy doesn't feel 100% and has to go and wants to go get tested, how should the practice work afterwards? And But that's where the social distancing, if, if all right. those protocols are being held to, that's why the guy getting ready to play a round of golf can social distance. And that way, if the test does come back positive, he hasn't been in close enough proximity to anyone else to put them at risk. Although, you know, with Watney being such a, a knowing Watney personally, as long as I've known him for a really, really long time, he is one of the nicest, most down to earth people that there are out there. Um, and, and I'm sure felt mortified yep. at the thought that he might've, and that was pretty much reiterated by Rory McElroy and, and Sergio Garcia when Watney was trying to get in touch with as many people to do that contact tracing as possible uh, going back. But I guess well, when it comes down to it, we've always been in a not if, but when. You know, Rory um, and, and Sergio came to his defense. It sounds to me like he was doing everything right the, the protocols, when you get a test, allow you to go to the golf course, just not inside. You can't go in the locker room or, or in the clubhouse. And maybe they just need to clamp down on that a little bit. Like he probably, when, when they said to him, okay, look, you can go to the course and, and, uh, while we're waiting on the result, but you need to practice away from people, mm. you know. And, and you know what? You know, yeah, because the talk- test was done on the course. And, and, you know, he had to wait a while for it. Yes. And so, if, and, and this is to the point, okay, there is a lot of discussion about it. he should have been shut down right there. He should have withdrawn. He should have been kept away from the course. Well, what if he tested negative? Correct. That so was, my, was my, my response to that, to that theory is that if you, sh- you should just shut him down and make him wait for four hours. Well, what happens <laughs> if he's, if it comes back negative and now he's got a tea time that he's not warmed up for? Right, he's he's gonna be pissed. Yeah, and so and so, what's gonna happen? Justifiably so. What's gonna what's gonna happen? He's gonna be annoyed. He's gonna be mad at them, and then other players are gonna go, "Wow, you know what? I'm not feeling great, but I'm not telling anybody because (laughs) if I don't have it, then I don't get to play." Yeah, I got a chance to win. I got a chance to win. 
um, over a million dollars. I got a chance to win one point three million dollars, and I got a runny nose. And, Ser- and, Sergio and a little bit of a cough. I ain't that. saying nothing. Yeah. Sergio was worried about that. He was right there on Friday night. Now he had to get tested and he had to wait four hours. And he's sitting there thinking, you know, I had a bad week last week. I'm finally playing pretty well. I don't have any symptoms, but now I'm waiting on this test. And if it comes back positive, not only can I not finish this tournament, but I'm out for the next two. Mm. And, and now look, I'm not, that's the way it should be if you have it. Yes. But but this is where they probably need to tighten those protocols a little bit. They probably needed to make sure that Watney stayed away from people. Maybe don't go on the putting green around anybody. The other people aren't going to know. And so but but he he is really not to blame. He did the right thing. He could have, you know, just blown it off and not gotten tested, mm. you know, and he did get tested and now he's still holed up in South Carolina. You know, so it's look, there was never going to be a perfect answer to this. It's a it's very, very hard to manage. We're seeing how it's working in the team sports. I mean, you know, for the NBA, once you enter that bubble, you are you cannot leave and nobody else can enter it who isn't in the same situation you are, which is testing every other day. And yeah. All kinds of precautions. Golf's a little bit different. You're you're. You, if you infect somebody else, you're not infecting a teammate, and you don't you don't run the risk of the entire team getting shut down. Right. In golf, the show's going to go on unless there's a huge spike of players. If a couple guys get it, there's you know these fields are 150 players. Somebody else will step in, and I think it, it sounds harsh, but that's their attitude, and yeah. that's and that's how it can that's how it can work. I guess the last thing on on. The, the COVID aspect of last week for you is now knowing that, as you said, Watney is is being isolated. The tour, as we know, he got $100,000, plus they're paying all of his expenses to be isolated. And the question now is his caddy, Tony Navarro, uh, because Tony was in close contact and, and with Nick for the whole week, he has now also have to been isolated and... Um, is probably going to get a check expense. How does all, how is all of that working uh, as far as you know? I believe his period of time is less because he tested negative and he had two tests. They had, they did two, like they did, you know, they did one and then they waited and they did another one. Both have come back negative. Mm. Um, I believe he had to stay for five days. There is some stipend involved. I don't know to what level. Uh, but it's not a hundred thousand. I don't think <laughs> nah, it's, the it's, caddy ain't getting that much. Probably eight, hey, 10%. There you go. <laughs> it's probably a lot less, but I'm yeah. sure it's enough to cover it. Cause he, him and Nick were renting a place together. So he had to move out and get a different one. Nick uh, stayed where they had been. Right. And so, you know, but I mean, the, the sad thing is for him is that, you know, now his players out of, out of work and he's out of work. Yeah. You know? And, um, but I mean, you know, again, like these, uh, these numbers about them, them, you know, paying for the player and the caddy to, to, to self-isolate, uh, whatever they're giving Nick Watney, it's expensive. It's expensive to run these tests every week. I mean, so like when you talk about the tour and they've got all kinds of money and, you know, but you know, they missed 13 weeks of events, um, which was a huge multi, multi-million dollar loss in revenue. Mm. And then now you've got all this extra money that you're spending every week 
to administer these tests and to then possibly having to pay expenses for people who test positive, you know, it's rough. It's a lot. It's, it, it, it shows you why they want to play because they get a lot of money coming in from the title sponsor and TV. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> what's going to be tough now is knowing that how the, the virus can stay dormant and people can be asymptomatic for a while. The fact that they tested for two consecutive days afterwards isn't when it's going to show up. Is Not necessarily. No. Yeah, there, there are guys that are going to be feeling fine and test negative for two days, like Watney did when he landed on Tuesday, and now test positive on Friday. So I say just keep a heads up for next week. We're recording this on Tuesday. So if guys are going to start feeling a little under the weather – Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is when we might see things start popping off, you know, and that's when that's when things are going to get a little interesting. But I want to I want to ask you a question about what happened on the golf course. Hilton Head in year, I mean, we know we're playing at a different time of year. We know that it was very lush because they didn't have to worry about the overseed. The Bermuda had come in full. The greens were running like Bermuda does this time of year in Hilton Head. A little bit bumpy. The greens were just a smidge slower. But that golf course does not on many occasions see scores <laughs> that get above 12 under par. That get, or I should say below, 12 under par. Why in the world? Guys were shooting 63s. Saturday, there were six players that shot 63, eight under par. How hmm. was that possible on a golf course that is n not that easy? Yeah, I mean, I think the previous tournament scoring record was 20 under. and Webb Ryan Jay won by five shots. Right. So, I mean, it was like that was an aberration almost. Yes. You know, it's usually a 12, 13, 15 at the most. Yeah, um, eight, and nine when it's really windy and cold. Right. And it's 22 this time. Well, I just think the change of year, time of year is, is, the, is the easy explanation. In April, it's chillier. It's windier. You know, you can have some raw days. You know, it's the week after the Masters. It's, you know, it's not always warm. It was warm, except for like Tuesday. Last Tuesday, it got, it got hot. Once the tournament started, it was like high 80s, low 90s every day, very high humidity. So they got the balls flying forever, and they got to put water down. So it's going to be softer. They got to put water on the greens to keep it, you Alive. know, to, to keep it. Yeah, exactly, to keep it going. And so it's going to be softer. It's not going to be firm and fast like like it would be in more in the spring. And there was uh, also, no rough. No rough. And also, uh, they, uh, you know, we had a couple of instances of heavy rain, and and so you know, not a lot, but enough. And so you add all that up, and then these guys are stoked to be out there. They're playing, you know. They've been, the, the, uh, you know. I just think there was a, there's a segment of guys, probably oh, you know, half of them, who you know saw the start date and really ramped up for it and ready to go. And so then you've got two rather shortish golf courses by their standards, Colonial Harbor Town, that they can uh, that that they can get around fairly fairly easily if they're hitting it well. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be the same this week in Connecticut at, uh, at the Travelers. You know, that's a, that golf course isn't even 7,000 yards. Uh, <laughs> at least their tournament is in the same week it always is. 
This is normally the week after the U.S. Open when the trailers will be played. So it should be playing exactly as it normally would. It's not. It's unlike these first two. Yeah. So, you know, and it's known for low scores there. So that's okay. You know, I think one of these days we're going to want a tournament with a little bit tougher scoring conditions. I have no problem with this right now. I think we want these guys to make birdies. Yes. We don't want them. We don't want them struggling yet. Um, and so, you know, Detroit is a course where I, you know, I think the scoring was decent last year. Again, it's not a long course. Uh, once they get to Muirfield Village, I think things will change a little bit. Now, the first week there, maybe not so much. The one is the Memorial Tournament. I wouldn't be surprised if that rough is thicker than all thick. The greens are super fast. Um, you know, uh, it's 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 actually a good time to test them because it'll be three weeks before the first major, and it'll be two weeks in a row that we're going to be there. So for that workday challenge, when the tour gets there, they're not going to have the well, number one. There's no fans the first week, which I think is going right. to be fascinating. That guys are going to play two weeks in the exact same spot, one week without fans, and the next week for the memorial with fans. I don't necessarily know how they're going to do it agronomically, if that's a word, but the agronomy (laughs) staff, how they're going to go from, hey, we got to let the rough be real light in the beginning and then let it pop for the week. Too. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what's going to happen. I think they've got a lot of tees they can use. They're going to put true. They're going to use different pin placements, different tee boxes the first week to keep it different. Also, you know, t- for the turf. Um, and, and I think they want the landing areas to be a little bit different. You know, you know, after a, after a, after four rounds of a PGA Tour event, those golf courses are beat up pretty good. Yes, they are. Yeah, the tees, the fairways, you know, the divots are all in the same place. So I think they're going to want to think that through, and I'm sure you know they they know how to do that. They're going to put the tees in places that they won't be the second week. Mm-hmm. And to your point about the rough, they might have know, to do that with the whole locations too, though. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I I think they can. And yes. and and you know, the, to your point about the rough, I think it'll gradually get get a little bit higher through the first week. There's not going to allow anybody to play on Monday. No practice rounds on that Monday in between, uh-huh. so they can work on it. Yep. And so then, you know, it's going to start, you know, a lot of times the tournaments will cut the rough on Monday and, and then and then by Thursday, it's where they want it. Well, they just might not be cutting it Monday, you know, and then letting it letting it grow and getting thicker. So um, I think it'll be fascinating. Look, this is good. I mean, let's have something different to, to talk about, to analyze, to look at, um, you know, uh, the. Uh, uh, the order of the tournaments is obviously different than we're used to, mm. and it and it gives us something different to think about and look at. It's different for the players, and uh, but you know, in the big picture of things, I think we all understand, and that's and that's okay. It's our it's all right. These courses have been easy, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there it would have been kind of cruel to to torture them right out of the gate. <laughs> but uh yes. but uh you Amen know the memorial will be the sixth tournament in by that point i think they should expect it to be harder and uh you know then then obviously when the pj championship rolls around you know you always expect a major venue to be playing tough that'll be in california where the weather's cooler where they can maybe get it firm and fast they don't get rain there um you know i think by the time they get to the pga it's going to be pretty interesting yeah, absolutely. But I'll get to that. I, the one thing I got to touch on going into the memorial and with the workday challenge being the week before, 
uh, you and I have had conversations forever about the Tiger schedule. And I, I had predicted in a video that I didn't think Tiger was going to play again until Memorial. And a lot of people thought, you know, well, there's a chance he might play Hilton Head. There's a chance. I even said if he was going to play anything, it was going to be the Travelers. But I didn't have a lot of hope for that tournament. So we know he's not playing Detroit. Now, there's no chance that he's going to play workday the week before. Like, he's not going to try and do two weeks in a row. But I, So from your vantage point and what you have heard, what do you know about Tiger and Tiger's schedule? Or, and should we just expect to see him at Memorial? I think so. I mean, I don't, I don't rule out the one before, um, but I put the chances pretty low. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we lose track of is that I don't think he cares about points or world rankings or all <laughs> right. that stuff. Yeah, you and me don't lose track of that, but there's a lot of people that do. Well, I mean, I sometimes do. I like I sit here and think, well, does he doesn't he want to get to Atlanta? Well, then why wouldn't he play this event? Or you know, why wouldn't he go to Memphis and play a no cut event? I mean, it's like. His attitude is, if I'm good enough, I'll take care of business and I'll get there, mm. you know, and like he rarely adds to do that, you know, and the reason I the reason I bring up the workday event, the one before the memorial is because I don't see him playing three in a row, the playoff mm. events. So he needs to again. Now, this is assuming he wants to get to Atlanta. I think he does. He missed it last year. And, you know, that's the place of the great victory in 2018. I think yep. he'd like to get there. Not to mention that'll be only two weeks before the U.S. Open. You'd think he'd want to play then. Yeah. Okay, so now to get there, you got to be in the top 30. He keeps slowly inching out. He's like, what, 35th now or something like that. He fell out of the top 30. He's mm. got to earn some points somewhere. So, you know, okay, so does he play two in a row? both in Columbus, easy travel, then go home for two weeks to prepare for the PGA Championship. Okay, I could see that. I don't think that's likely. I could see him obviously showing up at the Memorial, taking two weeks off, going to the PGA. I could also see him maybe adding Memphis. He's always, you know, when, when, it, when the WGC was at uh, Akron, did that for years, played the week before the PGA. But Memphis is a course he's never played. It's hotter than hell. He's then he's going to be well, it's going actually to a, hotter than hell is a good thing for Tiger and his. It back, is. Though. It is. But then the next week, it's you know probably Correct. sixty-five degrees. So that's the problem. You know, so like, does he play two in a row there? So I could, I could really just see him playing Memorial, PJ Championship. Um, look, assessing where he is in the points, maybe skipping Boston. Assuming he's in the top 70, he should be. He goes to the BMW and the, and the Tour Championship. The only time he would play back-to-back. Yeah, see, I am of the opposite mind thought of you. I don't think Tiger cares less about the Tour Championship, especially this year. Because of the way that the major championship schedule is set up, because of two of the tournaments being after the Tour Championship, and because of the time of year that they're going to be played, because of what his body is going to have to do and the temperatures that those tournaments are probably going to be played at, I think this is the one year where the playoffs completely 
don't matter to Tiger Woods. And I think we're going to see that because of the preparation it's going to take for him to get ready for the U.S. Open and the Masters, of course. So this the is only, the one year. I, I, just, only, I don't think about that scenario. My only pushback on that is, is the commissioner, Jay Monahan. you know he wants him to play the FedEx event. Yeah. You know he wants him to play playoff events. And I wouldn't be surprised if he is gently nudging him from two clubs, club lengths away with a long driver into his ribs to say, come on. <laughs> Obviously, he's not going to get too close to him. So he's going to hit him in the ribs with the driver and say, come on, man, we really need you in Memphis or we really need you to play in Chicago. And, you know, Tiger, you mean like when the commissioner showed up at Liberty National last year, just unexpectedly and walked a few holes with Tiger yeah. and then magically Tiger was like, yeah, I'm going to play in the President's Cup. Yeah, of course. Well, but, but I mean, I mean, I think that Tiger is more responsive to those things than we than we know. I agree. He 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 tries to do right by them, and his agent Mark Steinberg has a really good relationship with Monahan. That's they- the other thing I was gonna say, I, and I gotta put this out there because of how I feel about Jay myself. This commissioner has more good feelings from people, myself included, than the last commissioner. I'm not saying the last commissioner was a bad person. I'm not saying he was a horrible dude. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying, like, Jay Monahan is right now beloved among players, caddies, media, myself. Like, I'll say it again, myself included. Like, he has endeared himself to, <clears throat> to a lot of people who will do things for him that they wouldn't have done for the last guy. Yeah, I mean, although, you know, you say that, I think Tiger did a lot for Fincham, too. So I agree that I agree with that as well. But I mean, there's no doubt that Jay has been I think we're going to learn after after we look back and are able to dive into it more. I think we're going to learn that he was a big leader in this whole thing, putting this together. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of all the things that had to go on. You had you had the majors that had their events and they wanted to reschedule. Well, those event the tour had dates, right? So and sponsors. So, somebody had to pave the way, and somebody had to be the leader and and bring him to the table and say, "Okay." So I don't know if there was haggling or what, or if he just said, "Hey, what would be your preference?" And the PGA of America says, "Well, we'll take August sixth to ninth." Okay, well, you know what? That was, I believe, that was supposed to be the week of of the Wyndham. So what did the tour do? They pushed they pushed them all back a week. So that's why we have a Labor Day, <clears throat> excuse me, a Labor Day tour championship because there wasn't supposed to be an event that week. Mm. And obviously they had an event scheduled for the week of the U.S. Open at Wingfoot in September, uh, and and they, there was an event that would have been the week of the Masters in November. They had to work with them. They had to they had to move them around, and somebody had to be there and coordinate it. And it was Jay. You know, and and how many of us remember we p- might have talked when they announced the schedule, the schedule, the revised schedule was actually announced almost two months to the day before it would start. Mm. And how many Snickers were there among us like th- that? We're just going, man, that seems ambitious. <laughs> 
Are they really going to play this We got no off? chance. We got no. I was. Uh, hey, look. I was one of gonna, the first ones to be like, we got no chance to do it. They're going to be pushing that back. Oh, <laughs> it looks bad in Texas. They're going to move it back. Look, they played. I mean, this is why, you know, back to our earlier thing about these guys not being more careful. You know, they've worked so hard to get to this point. You don't want to ruin it by being irresponsible. And, you know, just as a comparison, the European Tour, which is going to start up in mid-July, and then I think they have two events in Austria, and then they're playing six in a row in the U.K., their rules are a lot more strict. They have a bubble. They have a they have a player hotel that they are not allowed to leave mm. once they go back. They have to take all their meals there, media too. And a couple of them are on site, which helps a lot. You know, a couple of the venues like the Belfry, they have a hotel there. Mm-hmm. They're all going to stay there and they're all going to, you know, do room service or takeout and that's it. That's a lot. They're, they're clamping down a lot harder. I'm not saying the tour should do that. I think, but I, you know, I think they have to, that requires them to be more careful. Yeah. And I, I I look forward to when we can all get back out there and all of us be tested. And like, once we are inside that bubble too, then I think things will at least somewhat go back to what they were a little bit, which would be better. But the other two big announcements that came out this week was, Number one, the the Ryder Cup looks like it it's getting pushed back to 2021, and the PGA Championship is moving forward, but with no fans. Right. So I would start with the PGA Championship now. So Memorial is going to have fans, and the PGA Championship, which is a major, is not. How do you see that one playing out? I think that all has to do with local governments. True. You know, and 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 health officials in Ohio, they got the green light from the governor. In San Francisco, uh, in California, they did not, you know, and I, I thought that the memorial might have been a way for them to do it, but apparently it's not, you know, and, and, uh, and obviously it'll be a lot easier to pull off um, without because there's a myriad headaches with trying to bring spectators in. I think the biggest one, and these are the things that, not, that we're not all thinking about. At the memorial, they have a lot of parking close by. Remember, you can't shuttle people in. You can't put fifty people on a shuttle. On a bus, right? Yeah, you know. That's true. I mean, yeah. So, so how do you do it? It's Harding Park. You've been there. There's there's not much parking. You'd More have to shuttle at all. No, yeah. No, I mean, like yes. it's barely enough, enough for a crowd. There's yeah, there's, there's barely, barely enough, enough for players. It's it's a public golf course. It's yeah. it's barely enough for the public and the. And, and or excuse me, for the players, media officials, what have you. In fact, for the media, they aren't going to have a shuttle and they're not allowing Uber or Lyft. You have to drive yourself there for, for the PGA. So like to me, like this is like if, if people are wanting to oh, you getting on the California governor or getting on their local health people. That's the probably the main reason. How are you going to get them in there? There's a logistical issue there to, to park and. And into you know the memorial has enough parking close by where people, people can walk. People can walk in. They're not shoveling sure. them in either. Yeah. So and there, a lot of people do. A lot of people do. There's that aspect. Now you you talked about the report about the Ryder Cup being postponed. Um, that's not official yet. I think you know my understanding is they're still working through a lot of things. There's two things I'll bring up there. There is a ton of parking at Whistling Straits. Mm. A boatload of parking. 
So if you wanted to have 10, 12, 15,000 people a day, if you could do that, and remember, that's a golf course where one side you can't go to anyway. They were going to have to be, they were going to have to do some limits there. Yes. You know, I mean, I think the course is on Lake Michigan and the other side of it is a cliff. You're not going to have any fans <laughs> over there. They're either going to die well, they don't that pay way. As much, they don't pay as much for their tickets. The cliff side <laughs> is much cheaper to get into. <laughs> they're going to, they're either going to fall off the cliff or they're going to break their ankles. So, um, but so there is that aspect if they were going to try. And the thing that keeps getting lost in, and the postponement of the Ryder Cup means it just everybody just assumes up. Oh, yeah, well, we'll just move the President's Cup back a year. <laughs> well, good good luck with that. That's not right. that easy, you know. Like, and maybe, and ultimately, maybe that's what's going to happen. But to do that is like saying to the PGA Tour again, okay, you just took it on the chin for three months of no revenue. You run tournaments every week of the year almost, and now we're going to tell you that one of your biggest revenue events has to get post- postponed another year that defers even more money. So like, they're not exactly in the mood to say, yep, go ahead, take our date. We'll go back a year. So like, so Yes, the while- only question I have is this, though. The problem for the Ryder Cup isn't necessarily with the fan access. It's the potential of what the quarantining of the European players is meaning. And the pushback might be from the European players going, I don't want to have to quarantine for a week before the Ryder Cup and then have to quarantine for two weeks going home after the Ryder Cup. Like that, that's a four-week stretch where I'm not with my or around my family and it's for a golf tournament I'm playing for free that's only an exhibition i'm not getting paid for it here's my counter to that okay if there's if there if that hasn't been waived for them which is possible by then remember it's still a long way away agreed um the u.s open is the week before they're all coming to that i mean they're they're, you you mean to tell me they're not going to figure out a way to get over here for the u.s open so, like, I think that uh, while that's an issue still, of course, um, and it's, it's you know, it's going to be an issue for the PGA Championship more, you know, closer, um, you know, that they're going to have to consider. Uh, but I do think there's the chance that that could be waived by that point, or it's just they're going to make the decision to come anyway because and, – and play, you know, and play the events leading up to it. I, you, like the safe way is the week before the U.S. Open – I bet you anything they give an exemption to every one of those European Ryder Cup guys, even if they're not a tour member. Mm. So they give them, a, so they give them a place to play if they want a warm up so, before the U.S. Open. Yeah, which this it, year they don't have to qualify for. So yeah, they're either they're either going to be in it or they're not. You know, right. and we'll and we'll know whenever they announce that that, that qualifying criteria. Um, but. Um, yeah, I mean, listen. These are all these are all things that make it hard. If that is a concern, then absolutely they need to postpone it. Um, and also, you know, the idea of no fans—it's just really, really tough to, to wrap your arms around a Ryder Cup with no fans. So my hope was, okay, maybe the Memorial paves the way for them to figure out a way to do it with fans. Mm-hmm. You know, because the other side too is, does the European Tour want to? want to push back their home Ryder Cup another year 
we all know how much of a revenue source that is for them. Yes. Uh, when their home Ryder Cups really help fund them for, you know, two or three years. You know, it's, 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 it's a necessity. They're so, they make so much money off a home Ryder Cup. It's, it, it props them up. Their tour is set up differently than PGA Tour, the way they do sponsors. Their sponsors don't pay the huge money that the sponsors do over here. So they have to supplement purses. One, notice right now when these events come back, those purses are really small. They're like a million pounds or a million euros, I think it is. Yeah. Like that's way below what they normally are. It's like a third. And it just shows you, you know, like how it's different for them. So they've got a, that, that, that Ryder Cup money is huge. So I don't know how much of a voice they have in it when it's a, a U.S.-based Ryder Cup, but Again, I think there's so much that goes into this. It's just because otherwise, why wouldn't they have just postponed it right from the beginning? Said, why bother? Why mess with this? We'll just play it next year. I think the reason is, is that it's, it's a, dominoes, a domino thing with the scheduling. And it's not that simple to work through. And, and, you know, the PGA Tour might be portrayed as the bad guy in that. But I just then go back to they just lost 13 weeks of revenue. You know, they have a lot of people to pay too, and now you, you're talking about that. The, the event in Charlotte, the Presence Cup, was selling like crazy. You know, it's a big, big revenue thing for the tour, and they don't share it with anybody like the Ryder Cup does. Right. So to to push it back a year sounds okay. Well, we'll just make the money next year. You know, well, who among us who's thinking we're going to get paid X right now says? Okay, I'll just not take it now, and I'll wait a year. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's 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 um, it's it's way more complicated than than all this. And you know, they've got a they've got a really really horrific, difficult decision on their hands here. And and I don't think any way is going to unless they're able to have fans in twenty twenty. It's 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 a it's a really tough call, no matter what. Interesting, and and it will be. I don't think people understand the economic impact that that the Ryder Cup has for the European tour when it's on European soil and, and the revenue that that is, is required by the European tour just to function. So, but I, I will say they, they, they didn't hesitate very much when it came to pushing back the, the open championship because of, how that was going to play out being 149 and 150 and keeping 150 at St. Andrews. I'm, I'm sure that was a logistical nightmare as well, but they were quick to pull the trigger on that. So, you know, who knows moving forward before I let you get out of here, before we finish this podcast, we always got to talk about like travelers, the field, who you like next week. If you got a favorite, do you have a favorite that you like for the travelers next week? You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Jordan Spieth puts it together. What? I know it's crazy. He's not been able to do it. He's shown flashes, though, these last two weeks. He's won there. Um, so, okay, you know, it's, it's throwing darts, right, to try to pick a winner. But so I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, how about Jordan? Can he, do, can he, finally, can he finally put it together? And you, this is you truly think that there's no money. There's no money being put down on this. And <laughs> if he misses the cut on Friday, I, you know, okay, you can come back at me and give me a bunch of grief. No, I but, wouldn't do that, man. Come on, you know me better than that. 
<laughs> but you just see, you saw. Did you see something in what Jordan did? Well, last I'll be honest with you. You know, he had another disappointing weekend. You know, but like on the first round, the guy made a triple on his third hole, and then made like eight birdies after that, and shot what sixty four or sixty five? I think it was. I mean, yes. You know, what's the issue when a guy's struggling? If you're not making birdies out here, that's a problem. So that wasn't the issue. He had the bad hole. He's got to avoid the bad holes. And he seems to always have one, you know, and he's just not gotten it figured out off the tee yet. You know, with his, he just seems to hit one really bad tee shot every round that kills him. You know, and but I mean, and and obviously the week before he missed a short putt or two, but he also putted pretty well, mm. you know, overall. So I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm I'm sort of rooting for the idea that he needs to get back. And you know, how great of a win was that for him? At, was it was it 2017? Where, where you know the 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 hole uh, out from th- the bunker on 18, right? The great club throw and the chest bump, yes, and the and the and the Greller rake throw. <laughs> It was that was great, yeah. It's 2017, so that was only what a few weeks before he won the Open, and he hasn't won since. We're going mm-hmm. on three years. It's crazy. Yeah, but see, I just I'm the, I'm not shocked that you picked. Well, okay, I should explain why I'm shocked that you picked Spieth because you wrote such a great article on ESPN.com on Sunday. And this is the guy who I'm picking this week because of it, because I'm like, I, you know what? I think you're right. And that's Brooks Kepka. Yeah. Kepka, on this course, being able to hit the shots that he's able to hit, where unlike the real tight tree line RBC Heritage and Harbortown Golf Links, he can unleash some things up here at, at uh, TPC River Highlands. Where it's like, oh, this dude, now that length is going to be an advantage. And now it looks like he's playing and starting to look like what you said, like the old Brooks Kepka. And when that dude, old Brooks Kepka, shows up at golf tournaments and is playing like he don't care, bruh, he steps yeah. on next. I mean, he just, he just, he ain't scared. He is not scared to drop the hammer. That's just, that's Brooks. So I'm shocked that you picked. Jordan Spieth, because I'm going to pick the dude that you wrote about last week that it looks like he's back, because I think he is. And even though Rory McIlroy, you know, everyone still talks about Rory. Rory's, Rory is, I see Rory the same way right now that I see Spieth. And you said it, three good rounds. And his bad round, instead of being able to turn that 74 into a 70 or 69, still not able to do that. And until you can turn that bad round from a 74 into a 70 or 69, you're not, you're just not going to be able to do it. So listen, man, I can't pick everybody I wrote about. Come on. I wrote about Spieth. I wrote about Brooks, Bryson, you know, so you gotta, you gotta go with one of them. So I I guess, but I appreciate, I appreciate you recognizing that, that Brooks, you know, Brooks a lot, looked a lot more like Brooks this past week. Yeah, you know, and it's crazy to think that's his highest finish since the tour championship when he was fourth, and and I know we're all, our time is distorted, but that was ten months ago, you know, wow. almost. 
Yeah, wow. 10 months ago. The tour championship was at the end of August. It was almost 10 months. So, you know, he hadn't had a top 10 since. Obviously, he missed a lot of time, and we, we missed a lot of golf. But Of course, but still. So, yeah. Mm. Well, man, time flies, dude. I hope you have fun hanging out on the podcast with me. We yeah, absolutely. To, you, I, unfortunately, you did too good. So, <laughs> be, by doing too good now, anytime Maddie's not around, you may have to become a regular fill-in. And the one thing you don't have to do for the podcast, wear a mask. You know what I mean? Sit at home. Right. I know from it's, wherever. it's tough filling the shoes of, pro, of a professional broadcaster like Matt. So, so uh, I'm don't happy. Call him that. No, don't I'm happy don't, to try. Don't call him that. He don't need a bigger head. He had a tough <laughs> enough time getting his head out of Arizona. You know, so <laughs> that's where he's at now. But man, this has been awesome. I hope everybody listening has enjoyed this week's podcast with special guest host and my co-conspirator at ESPN.com, super writer Bob Harrig. Enjoyed having this podcast and having you guys listening. We'll talk to you next week. This has been Maddie and the Caddy. Thanks for listening to Maddie and the Caddy. Check out more great ESPN podcasts in the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Maddie and the Caddy. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the thrill of the revving engine and pure adrenaline of flying down the highway to the confidence of knowing that Geico always has your back with 24-7 access to claim service. But Ari Snyder has one reason in particular. I had extremely large upper arms. They won't even fit into most shirts. Thankfully, biking really embraces vest culture, so I feel accepted. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.